Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We're going to continue. We're starting to wind up our series on rich Christians. It's a prosperity series. I am a prosperity preacher. I do believe in prosperity. I don't believe that prosperity is the number one thing in God's mind for us or even number two, maybe not even number three, but I believe it is important to him. Amen. How many of you want to see your children prosper? And I'm talking about your adult kids as they grow up, you want to see them do well. How many of you want to see your kids surpass, excel your accomplishments in life? Well, we're never going to surpass God, but he definitely is a good, good father. And good parents, he's, Jesus said, you know, if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father? All right? And so um, let me, you know, I want to talk this evening for just a few minutes about married to one husband. I have a rather different view on the things to come that, you know, and that is I, I'm going by the things that the Lord said. I mean, I, 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 I see everything through the lens or the lenses of the things that the Lord has said to me. And I, you know, there is no question that great, uh, we, we're already seeing great financial turmoil and we're seeing great trouble, even worse trouble on the horizon because certain things politically are being done that are creating um, such uh, kinks in the hose, so to speak. And plus, all of the weather and all the crazy things that are happening. Yet in the midst of all of it, I have the firmest of convictions that God is going to greatly bless his people. And that those who walk by faith and not by sight, those who have been doers of the word, those who have allowed God to train their hearts will look at the situations around them and they will see what's going on and will be like the men of Issachar who know, you know, who, who have wisdom and an understanding of the times and what we should do, but that we will, that we will see supernatural provision. Okay, I'm, thank you for the three of you that agreed with that. Supernatural provision. I mean, when it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that verses 2 through 14, that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I'm not going to get up here and debate somebody that says that's just for the Jews. I'm Jewish. Amen. The Scripture says so. He is a Jew who is one inwardly with the circumcision of the heart, not of the letter, or not of the flesh. And so... And that we are, according to Galatians, blessed, you know, he who believes in Jesus, she who believes in Jesus, we are blessed with Abraham the believer, that we are children of Abraham. Everybody say amen. And Deuteronomy 8.18 in the NIV says this, but remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. The New Living Translation renders that same verse, Deuteronomy 8.18, this way. Remember Yahweh your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Make no mistake about it. God is not embarrassed by poverty. Are you with me here? All right. And I'm not going to tell you there will not be thin, skinny, 
scraped by times. Paul himself said, I have learned how to suffer need and I have learned how to live in abundance. He didn't say abundance is better, but he didn't have to. All right. He said, I am content. We're going to get to that here in a few minutes. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 11, again, from the New International Version. You will be, and he's talking about those who are giving for the, into the offering for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. He said, you will be made rich in every way. Everybody say rich. rich. In every way so that you can be generous on every occasion as through us, your generosity will result in thanksgivings to God. I can't bless people with what I do not have. It's as simple as that. All right. And Remember that Paul only had the Old Testament to preach when he was writing this, when he was living this, when he was preaching this, and he was telling them, God will bless you. What did he say to the Philippians? And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And in fact, he says over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, uh, this is from the New American Standard, instruct those who are rich in this present world to repent of that and give it all away. No. He doesn't say that. Everybody say, he doesn't say that. This is what he does say. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Money can do that to you. I have no question in my mind that much of what the, the remnant has been through in the last 10 to 15 years has been training us to be humble, training us to believe God, training us to cling to God, training us to, to keep our eyes on God no matter what happens around us. Because believe it or not, Prosperity and abundance is as much a test of character as is poverty. Are you with me? Because when you have the means to do something, it's easy to just say, oh, let's do it. But maybe God doesn't want us to, oh, just do it. How many of you have ever bought something that you really knew you shouldn't have bought? Well, that's me. Okay. In this present world, says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with what? All things, what? To enjoy. All things to enjoy. I have a motorcycle. In fact, I've got more than one. They're old, but they're very in excellent shape. And I really enjoy riding them. When I swing a leg over my steel steed, my iron horse, I want you to know I thoroughly enjoy it. I enjoy riding. I don't have to have them for transportation. I have a four-wheel vehicle. But I enjoy riding that motorcycle. Somebody says it's dangerous. So is walking across the street. So is going to Kansas City. All right. And all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your stuff. Everybody say amen. And you know what? My motorcycles are not even expensive. But you know what? They're still a lot of fun to ride. 
I mean, I pull up again, up, up next in, in, in lights, up next to guys who are riding bikes that are four and five times more expensive than my ride. And you know what? That's beautiful. Man, I'll compliment him. Like, Man, that is a gorgeous ride. Well, thank you. I was talking to a guy one time up in Sturgis that had spent, oh, I think he said $8,000 just on the wheels. For it, and it's because they had this weird thing that they could do and everything. And I'm thinking, dude, 8K, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. And I know some of you are thinking somebody has more money than they have sense. But you know what? He enjoyed riding it. I enjoy riding mine with the cast, you know, aluminum wheels just as much. Amen. I can remember one time I was, when I was in the army, uh, you know, it was, you know, those of us who were single guys were, were going down to the audio club, which was at the Air Force Base. And, you know, because we were in Berlin where the Air Force and the Army both, we, we both had installations. And uh, the Air Force had over at Tempelhof, they had the audio club. And you could go over to the audio club and buy stuff. And that's when the Bose 501s and the Bose, I'm dating myself there. The Bose, not 901s and the Bose 501s were first coming out. And, you know, I'm like, you know, you don't need a subwoofer. I mean, you don't need a woofer for that because, you know, and all this. And, they, oh, no, it's technology and everything. And I was, you know, and we'd all sit around and talk about our stereos and our reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders that would go 15 inches per second and la-da-da-da-da, you know. And one of the guys who worked rich something, I don't remember his last name, but anyway, he worked over in R&D, but he was on our side for, they had a, pause on position on our side too. And I said, what, do, what, do you, what have you got? He goes, I have a boom box. <laughs> I, and he could tell by the look on my face, like what? And he said, and I assure you, I enjoy my boom box every bit as much as you enjoy your stereo. And I thought, you know, he, he's probably right. All right. Uh, Go on, let's, let's keep reading there. Uh, verse 18, instruct them, the rich people, to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to what? Share. But if you don't have anything, you can't share. So he didn't say, he didn't rebuke them for being rich. He didn't rebuke them for having means. He just said, don't be conceited. Don't think your money makes you better than anybody else. Don't get, don't. Don't start depending on that money. We're going to talk about some of those things this evening. It's okay for, with God for his children to be rich. If it wasn't okay, then Abraham was in trouble with God. David was in trouble with God. Solomon was in trouble. Solomon is in real trouble with God, but not because of, of, of his wealth. All right. Jacob was in trouble with God. Joseph was in trouble with God. You get the idea. All right. In fact, I believe that it is God's preference for his children to prosper. We are talking about the God who paves the streets of the new Jerusalem with gold. And all of the precious stones and everything around. I remember one guy talking about how his, his mansion was going to have diamond doorknobs, diamonds the size of doorknobs. You know, why not? All right. It is God's will for us to prosper. He said, but I hear a but in your voice, pastor. Yes. Because when we come back to that, instruct the rich not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, the uncertainty of riches, he would not be wasting ink. I mean, he wouldn't waste ink if that weren't a real possibility. 
Just about anything can be misconstrued, misunderstood, and misused. That is the devil's craft. Money is something that is particularly insidious. It is particularly dangerous. Money is power. Money is the power to go over to Costco and clean out the store. Money is to go over to uh, aristocrat motors and in sufficient amounts buy the most expensive car they have on the lot. Money is power. Money will get you things. Money and money, and as a result, without character, money will get you into trouble. And I'm talking about spiritual trouble, not just, you know, physical trouble. When I said money is the power, that money is insidious. Money is a great servant, but it is a horrible master. And it is insidious. And you've heard me say this before. The word insidious is from the Latin word that means to ambush because it will sneak up on you. I have watched people who have become prosperous and become wealthy and that money has changed them. They didn't even see it. But those of us around them could. And how many of you know that all of us have blind spots? Amen. And Paul gives some pretty strong instructions. Let's, uh, let's, back, let's go here to, uh, we're in Rome, or 1 Timothy 6. Let's back up to verse 3. Again, we're in the NAS. And he says, if anyone, and he's talking about the way people are behaving. So I want you to catch this and the way people are leading. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine, the teaching conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words uh, and out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Listen to this. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I've been around people like that, that, that hopefully they've grown through that, that they saw their relationship with God as their ticket to wealth, as their ticket to great riches. And don't misunderstand me. While I'm a prosperity pre preacher I, and, and a believer, I do not believe that is the, the nature of our relationship with God in the least. And if I were married to a woman that I come to find out that the only reason she's with me is because I'm wealthy, which you don't have to worry about Kathy being that way. That's when we got married, she had more money than I did. You know, we were hundred heirs. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, the, um, when, <laughs> and, you know, I, God wants us to love him for who he is and to pursue him. And that, that's what we in preacher talk, we talk about pursuing, seeking his face, his person, his will, himself, not his hand, what he can do for us. 
What have you done for me lately, God? All right. But godliness, verse 6, continuing, is or actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Everybody say contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, those who desire to be wealthy, those who are pursuing it, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and to destruction. Content means not requiring anything else in order to be happy. Are you with me? Now, I don't mean complacent. I mean, and I don't mean not striving for greater things. There are things I would like to have. There are, there, there are things I do not possess. I'm talking about stuff that I do not have that I would like to have. There, is, there are places that I have not been that I would like to go, and it costs money to get there. If you've bought an airline ticket lately, you know of what, exactly of what I speak. There are, um, you know, there are, there, you know, if, how many of you know if you're going to take a vacation, it's going to cost money. You know, if you're going to, you know, if you're, if, in fact, everything costs money. So far, air is free. All right. Want to get rich. This is, they want to become rich. This is the first red flag. The want to means that a will which plans for wealth has an overarching goal. And then it says fall, those who want to be rich, fall into, the rich fall, uh, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation. Let me tell you something. Theologically speaking, the word fall is never good news. All right. In other words, it's a trap. And it says, you know, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. That word translated desires is in other places translated lusts, which plunge men to ruin and destruction. You know, um, well, it says here in First. Timothy 6.10, the very next verse. For the love of money is the root. The love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many griefs. You know, when we are not content and we get our, our focus set on something and, you know, it's, it, I'm telling you, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom, bowing our knee to him. And, you know, when it says the love of my, and some by longing for it, um, King James Version says coveting, stretch. It means to reach for it, craving it. It will lead you away from the faith. Remember, Jesus said you cannot serve God and wealth. You, just, you can't. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right? And so we come to the place where in order to handle wealth, 
We have to have a firm, and I mean handle it biblically and it not damage our faith and it actually be a blessing to us and to the kingdom. You know, again, Matthew 6 and 24, NIV, no one can serve two masters. Either he will, and this is about finances, he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, Jesus is not saying the same thing twice here. He's using different verbiage. And it says, either he will hate the one and love the other. That is the worldling. That is the non-believer. They will hate God and hate the things for which God's up, but they will love the money and they will love the world. Or he will be devoted to the one, that is the believer, devoted to God and despise man, uh, mammon. Now, to despise money doesn't mean to abhor it. It means you do not think it worthy of worshipful consideration. That it is a tool. And that's it. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a cordless electric drill. Those are cool. You know, and you know, if, if I can remember when they didn't have those and whenever you're putting a barbecue together or you're putting together a crib or something like that, you're, you're just, you're getting with, and it's just so cool to just take, be able to put that like, like, you know, it's a tool. I am not, I don't go, I don't have that drill sat on a pedestal in the middle of the house. And then I genuflect every time I walk past it. I don't fall down and go, oh, great drill. You know, I don't do that. I don't check with drill to see if, you know, what I should do. You know, two for yes and one for no. I don't do that. It's a tool. I use it when I need it. And when I don't need it, which is most of the time to be candid, which is why I don't have an expensive one. It just sits out there with the little battery light on. Amen. That is exactly the Christians, the spirit-filled, on fire, loves Jesus, believers, attitude, attitude toward, let's take those two words and make them into one, attitude toward money and wealth. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Greed is, is the opposite of contentment, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Greed is giving anything or anyone else what desires. Idolatry is actually what belongs to God alone. Worship, adoration, service, loyalty, sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 5, again from the NIV. For this, of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such man as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Some people hoover up money. You know what I mean by hoover? Some of you do. Back in the day when, I guess they still make Hoover vacuum cleaners, don't you? They just, they just, and it's in, among them, it becomes a contest to see who can pile up the most. 
so they can become one of the elite and go to the Davos meeting every year and all that kind of stuff and, and influence things with their money politically and all that. But the fact is, you know, when he says right there, let's read it again, but of this you can be sure, no immoral person, impure person, or greedy person, such man as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Pastor, don't you think that's a little harsh? Well, maybe so, but God is the one that said it, not me. God's viewpoint is best is, is probably nowhere more explicitly stated than Exodus 20. Begin reading with verse 3. Again, we're in the NIV. You ha shall have no other gods before me. How many is no? None. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand or to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Wowzers. The very first commandment is you shall have no gods before me. That's one of the things. I mean, think about James. James epistle is like I've said before about as strong as three acres of garlic. And he said, you adulteresses, do you not realize that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? And, you know, maybe as God judges this world system, that we're watching it being judged right now around us, maybe we should not weep at its passing, but be excited about what God is bringing forth. Amen. Yeah, but I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to walk through it. Well, that's, you're in a pretty good position. That means you're going to be leaning on God. Praise the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. When you see over in Revelation, the 144,000 and they're virgins. That doesn't mean that they've never known a woman or they've never known a man. It means that they are pure in the eyes of God because they do not love other gods. They are faithful to, to Jesus. They are faithful to Yahweh alone. When we see the uh, um, in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, the parable of the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. It isn't about who's going to heaven. It's about who is prepared, who's being faithful in this life. And that's James 4.4 4, where he calls covetousness and the like adultery. In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus was explaining the parable of the, sowers, uh, the sower and the soils to the disciples, when he talked about that which fell among the thorns, the third group. And he's explained to him, he says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of money, 
and the desires for other things come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. Going forward, we must be more committed to God, more committed to his kingdom, more committed to his will, more committed to his way than we ever have been before. Because it's, we are, um, I, I don't know why this illustration, just picture just came into my head. But um, my brother, one of my brothers-in-law, I had four and I'm down to one. Um, but my brother-in-law that was next youngest to me was in the army in the same unit I was. Uh, and when I say same unit, I mean same branch of the army as I was. Then when he got out of the army, he went into the Navy. And he enlisted for six years and did what the Navy tried to get me to do, but I know better because I, you know, I asked him, I said, is this going to be a lot of math? And they said, well, yes. And I went, next. <laughs> and they sent him out to the desert, somewhere out in the desert southwest for two years. That's why the reason it was a six-year enlistment was because he was out there for two years at a nuclear facility learning how to be a nuke, a nuke, you know, and to ride a nuke boat. And, you know, a, a, a nuclear, he would have, you know, the guys with seniority get ships, you know, like aircraft carriers, but guys without seniority uh, usually get sent to submarines. And he was sent to a submarine. He was sent to the USS Michigan. And he recounted for me his very first time when they went out, I think it was a patrol boat, and they, when they went out, you know, they, they go out from, the, you know, from you know, New London or wherever it is they were based, I don't recall, he told me. And when they go to cruise depth, which is several hundred feet, he said one of the things they love to do, particularly to impress the new guys, is they will take, you know, they've got bulkheads, and they will close the bulkheads or next to the bulkheads, they will tie a rope from one bulkhead to the next and it will be um, waist high off the deck. And he said, as that ship goes down, he said, you can hear that hull groaning and popping, creaking under the thousands if not tens of thousands of pounds per square inch of pressure that water brings. And he said, by the time we got to cruise depth, he said, that ship had so compressed that that rope, which was waist high, had sagged all the way down to the deck. That would get your attention. Trust me when I say that the days into which we are coming are days of greater pressure. And any weaknesses are going to be discovered. Any weaknesses are going to be probed by the enemy. And since the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, that in the last days, horrible, like verse 1 says, perilous, dangerous, savage, hard to take, times will come. For, verse 2, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And so that tells us that if you and I 
are not going to love money. We are swimming upstream. And there will be times that you will groan and you will pop and you will creak <laughs> because of the pressure. You know, your adult children will come over and say, Mom, your rope's on the deck. What's going on here? He says, you know, I developed a very healthy admiration for the designers and builders of this ship. Boat. They don't call them the submarine ships. They call them boats. Of that boat. He went on to become, after his four years working as a nuclear power plant specialist, he got out, went to school, you know, school finished his double E and became uh, a nuclear technician up at the uh, nuclear power plant in uh, Red Wing. Minnesota. And uh, he just, he, he loved it, but he liked math. I tried several times to cast that math spirit out of him, but I never, now I was kidding. Lance was good people. He was a, he was a good man. Well, G, you know, he, Jesus says here, but the worries of this life, the pressures, the things that come against us, the deceitfulness of wealth. Money promises more than it can deliver. One of the things I've heard multiple, or I say heard, I've only heard one guy say, but I've seen several write it, is that one of the things about being wealthy is you are quickly disabused of the idea that if having more money will actually make you happy. Now, they're not offering to give theirs up, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And I just look at that and I go, well, you know, I would, like to, I, I would like a shot at discovering that for myself. But the fact of the matter is, I already know it. I mean, you with me now? And I've had multiple people in my office asking me, I've, I've got a decision before me, Pastor. Do I do this or I do that? And I tell every, and, and when it's appropriate, I tell everyone the same thing. You never, ever, ever make a decision based solely on finances. You never do that. I'm going to this other job because it's more money. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, just because it's more money doesn't mean you're going to like it, doesn't mean you're going to be happy, and doesn't mean you're not going to regret having taken that position. The deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things come in and choke out the word and make it unfruitful. In other words, it, just, it, it, it stymies our faith. Um... You know, it's interesting when, when you look at, you know, deceitfulness there. That in the Greek, it's a word that means enticement to something delightful or pleasurable. I knew some people, and I've talked about this before, but I reiterate it. I knew a couple that his grandmother died, leaving them a very large sum of money. Now, it wasn't like, tens of millions, but it was the kind of money that I'm sure everyone within the sound of my voice would love to have loved to receive. And over a period of four or five years, they basically blew that money. They, every, they were huge Chiefs fans. They bought the very best um, season tickets they could. And whenever the Chiefs went on the road, they flew to that city Bought tickets in that, you know, stayed in a hotel, uh, went to the Chiefs game and flew back 
And so they, were, they saw all 20, I suppose, if you count the, uh, you know, uh, count the preseason games, they, they, they saw them all. And, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, well, you know, your money is to enjoy, but I can think of things personally that would probably have a higher priority than that. I had a pastor friend who, down in Louisiana, who uh, was, who had a couple in his church that came into, well, in fact, it wasn't just, it was a, it was a couple, but they had adult children. And someone in the family died, leaving them a great millions of dollars. And Daniel said, I have never seen anything wreck havoc on people the way that money did on them. It and we're all familiar. We've all read about lottery winners and how it destroyed them, you know, and, and ruined their lives and everything, you know. And that doesn't mean that happens with everybody by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm saying is money is deceitful. It will lie to us. And we've got, we cannot listen to the siren song of pleasure and all of the things that money will promise. It promises you the moon and gives you green cheese, you know. All right. The Proverbs speak of the, uh, the temptations that stalk of men. The language and the descriptions are often very sensual, you know. And money promises comfort and power and prominence, respect and adulation and even safety. In fact, over in Proverbs 18, 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. And I like to put but only in there because it fits. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall, but only in his own imagination. I want to be in control. I, will be in I want to be in charge. One of my professors at ORU, great man of God, used to say money really is the other God in our culture. I don't need to walk righteously because I've got the money to hire the best lawyers. Amen. I don't need to be temperate because I can hire the best doctors. Amen. And from, you know, when we, when we feel that way, when we have that attitude, from God's perspective, money is the other woman. Let me ask uh, the gentleman present, is your wife willing to share, share you with another woman? I don't think so. And neither is God. Can you imagine? You're, what are you doing with her? Oh, honey, it's not really anything. It's, uh, yeah, we sleep together and have a few laughs. You know, but you're the one I really love. Honest. That's going to get you killed. You know, that's one of the reasons I never cheated on my wife because she'd kill me in my sleep. <laughs> that's exactly how God views covetousness is that level. You know, we don't think, we think of covetousness as, well, yeah, you know, I kind of, you know, moved heaven and earth to do, and I've been a few rules and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't anything major. It was in the eyes of God. Proverbs 11 and 28. He who trusts in his riches 
will fall. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the same guy that wrote that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he noticed that while that's true, that sometimes it didn't happen right away. And sometimes it didn't happen for a very long time. In fact, who knows what fall means there? Because there are a lot of people that may be wealthy to their, their dying day, but are miserable. That's falling. And then stand before God, not good. But the righteous will flourish like the what? Green leaf. Oh man, that's good. So what do we do? We do a checkup from the neck up to make sure we haven't got a hardening of the attitudes, right? We do a self-test, a self-exam. In fact, David uh, in, in uh, Psalm 26.2 said, Examine me, O Lord. Try me. Test my mind and my heart. We used to sing that song, See if there be some hurtful way in me, or something like that. I don't remember. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse, first part of verse 5. Paul says to the Corinthians, Test yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. I don't mean go on a witch hunt where you're just doing everything you can to find something to beat your, you know, over, with which to beat yourself over the head or self-condemn. But, you know, questions on the self-exam. Do I think about money all the time? If I do, something's going on there, you know. Uh, does money run your life? Do you have to check with money before you make decisions? Now, that could, that could also be because you don't have very much. Does money have... Oh, the other day, I, I was talking to a young man that used to go to church here. And a uh, good guy. He's a salesman over here at, at uh, uh, the Toyota dealership. And uh, we were talking about electric vehicles and stuff like that. And I was saying, you know, I was reading about the RAV4 Prime. And he said, oh, that's a great car or a great vehicle, SUV. And it's great because it, it, you plug it in and charge it up and then it'll go 40 or 50 miles, between 40 and 50 miles on battery power alone. And if you don't exceed that, then you just, you know, it, the little hybrid engine never kicks in. And I'm looking at that going, man, if I had something like that, Kathy would only have to fill up twice a year. Because she really doesn't drive her car that much. Her car is 15 years old and still doesn't even have 80,000 miles on it. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I said, that would be awesome. He said, there is one catch. There always is. Read the fine print. He said, we're only getting two or three of those a year. And he said, that you can get one, but he said it will be eight to ten thousand dollars over sticker price. And I said, I'll buy gas. <laughs> you know, if I was if I was filthy rich, you know, I might do something like that. But you know, when you get right down to it, if you're that rich, you can afford to buy the gasoline. In fact, I told him, I said, you know what? By the time you pay for that thing, you're going to be 60. Yeah, I said, you could easily, I, I love this. I said, you could easily be $50,000. He goes, I go, man, 
How long do you have to drive that thing to get your ROI, you know, your return on investment? And he said, I'm not sure you ever will. Owie. Um, does money control your mood? Does money have as much influence on you as the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit, God begins to deal with you about doing something, giving something and everything, or to do something, do you start talking to the Holy Spirit about how much that is going to cost and how it's not possible? Do you and your spouse argue about money? Do you find yourself comparing your lifestyle uh, uh, level to others? Sometimes it's hard not to do. My next door neighbor is a great guy, committed believer. I mean, strong believers. He, he and his wife, um, and he drove um, a uh, beat-up um, F-150 for years. I mean, holes, you know, holes in the uh, uh, rust holes around the fender wells. And those 5.4, he had a 5.4 Triton in it, and those things have problems. And he would pull into his driveway. He'd drive past and wave at me. Out, hey, how are you doing like this? And then he would pull into his driveway and I'd hear, he'd go, ah, like this. You could hear that something in there just hammering away. And I thought, hey, man, you know, you know, amen. You know what? I never once coveted that truck. But he just got a brand new one. Oh, is it pretty? I mean, it's really, really pretty. And it doesn't make that ticking noise. And it doesn't have any rust on it. And I'm watching it going, I've wanted a pickup truck for 11 years, 12 years. I'm watching this go by. You know, I'm going, okay, not going to covet. And then beep, beep. I look up and another neighbor down the street drives by in his brand new GMC. I'm like, Lord, I didn't get invited to the party. <laughs> Do we struggle at offering time? Do we self-debate? Have we stopped tithing or did we never start? Does thinking about money generate feel feelings of fear and hopelessness? The answer of yes to any of those questions means there's something going on and it needs to be checked out. Are you with me here? All right. If our musicians will come, we'll, we'll bring this in for a landing here. There are some things coming which really require us to be upright in this area. I believe God is going to bless his people greatly. The Lord showed me long, long ago, that great financial blessing was coming to the faithful. And let me tell you something, nothing the government does or doesn't do can change that. Let me, let, let, let me, let me say that to you. I was, listening, I was listening to a guy a couple of days ago. He said, I live in Austin, Texas. He said, we've got a bit of a crisis down here. He said, because property values, and everybody understand that Austin is a liberal island in the midst of an otherwise rather red sea, because a lot of people from California moved in there. 
And he said, I know people who bought their house six, seven years ago. They paid $250,000 for it. He said their, their taxes, Texas has no uh, state income tax. Everybody talks about that. I've lived in Texas. Trust me, they get it other ways. Okay. And he said their taxes when they bought the house and for a couple years thereafter were $5,000 a year. You know, that's not too out of line. He said, now, that same house, very same house, very same furniture, very same yard, very same fixtures, is worth between six hundred and fifty and $700,000. He said their property tax bill went to $15,000 a year. Now, there are people who are having to make, to make a, a, a property tax payment that is actually in excess of their house payment. Bigger than their house payment. You know, people say, oh man, my house is getting, my, my property value is going up. Be careful what you wish for. Amen. Because even if you have your house paid off, if you don't pay your property taxes, Jackson County is going to come and kick you out. Somebody says, that just doesn't seem right. I agree with you. Blessings which God is preparing us because, again, what happens if your property taxes go to 15000 our Father knows how to get the money in your hands to pay that and to be able to do so without scrimping and breaking the bank everywhere else. Are, are you with me here? And you got to believe that too. You can't just say, oh, I hope that's true. No, 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 no. You got to say, yes, Father, you will meet my needs according to your riches in glory by Christ. Jesus. If my house goes to a million dollars, and Jackson County shows up wanting this much. I'm moving to Lafayette. No. <laughs> you, you, you will. That's actually it doesn't sound like a bad idea. The, you know, God will see to it. Well, you know, just think about, uh, you know, what, what we do not have to. I can't imagine what the property tax on this building and this property would be if we were not a not-for-profit organization. It would be humongous. It would be a budget buster. Well, what if somehow in the future the government comes and lifts that, you know, as part of the uh, uh, persecution of the churches, lifts the tax exempt status. I'm not saying that's going to happen. In fact, I don't think it will. But let's say it would. You think God doesn't see that coming? He doesn't know that's coming and he doesn't know how to deal with that? And you've got to look to the future and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. I know him who does know what's going to happen. And he has everything well in hand. And he is not a God who is stingy, penurious, or chintzy, whatever word you want to use there. I don't have to make my own way. I have, all I need to do is be obedient. Philippians 4.11 Paul talked about how that they had shared with him multiple times. He said, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content 
in whatever circumstances I am. You know, we sing, you know, it's all about you. Or, you know, Jesus, you're enough. He's more than enough. Okay, is that lip service? Or do we really have that inside? You know, you can train yourself to be content. You absolutely can. When you find yourself starting to get into covetousness, you can just say, nope, not going there. Give yourself a little lecture. Cry out to God because what does he say? Come to the throne of grace where we find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. And we're struggling like that. That is exactly what it, all right? Do the word. In season, out of season, when you feel like it, when you don't. Every time we do the word, that does something on the inside of us. Hallelujah. And draws us closer to him to whom we are betrothed. And enables us, enables him to do anything. We're going to talk about that a little bit if I don't have a guest speaker on Sunday. But in my next on uh, faith, and, faith and grace, how to turbocharge, supercharge your faith how to ramp it up. And there is a way to do it. To open that, you, you know, uh, back in the day, engines, sorry ladies, engines had carburetors. And the bigger the carburetor, the more air you could get in it. But with more air, you need to give more fuel. That's why they had like the Holly double pumpers, you know, and stuff like that. You could, I mean, with some of those carburetors, man, you could stomp on that gas and you, you could actually almost see your gas gauge moving. And, uh, the, you know, and, and so you had two, a lot of them would have two, when they're driving around in two barrel mode, they've got these two little, little barrels up in the front with two little Venturis and they're, what to do so that if you don't stomp on it, you're just sipping the gas and everything. But then when you romp on it, and I had a Carter 850 Thermoquad on my Cuda, and when you romp on that thing, there was more noise coming out of that carburetor than there was coming out of my pipes because it opened this giant thing goes, like this. And that is exactly, I want there to be that, I want my faith in God to be so, you know, to be just for it, not, not just this little, for we are saved by grace through faith. And I don't want that grace trying to make its way through a, a, a little tube about the size of one of these little clear plastic tubes you see on an aquarium. I don't even want a garden hose. I want a fire hose. I want an eight inch main so that the grace of God, the power of God can flow through it. I want it wide open. Those of you watching by web, thank you for joining us. If you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Savior and your Lord, I could know it would be impossible for me to too strongly encourage you, even as you watch this, to give your heart to Jesus. Because there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. And in the days to come, you need a good shepherd over you, not that other guy, not the prince of the power of the air. And the way you do that, you come out from his dominion and into the kingdom of God's beloved son is to say to the father,
Father God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and I believe you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe in you, and you will pass from death into life. If you're a Christian and you are, you've just been dabbling in financial faithfulness with your finger, I'm here to tell you that will lead to grief. If it hasn't already, it will. Because the pressure, just like that submarine going down, the USS Michigan going down as it presses in, we are watching, we're listening, we're looking around, we're watching it in our government, we're watching it in our culture. It's groaning, it's buckling. But we are a watertight, God wants you to be a watertight compartment. Doing just fine, thank you very much. And you do that by being faithful, being a doer of the word, being in church, being in ministry and locked in with those around you because our God will see to it that those who are faithful to him have everything they need and then some. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, ICC Family, all one word, dot O-R-G, ICC Family, dot O-R-G. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.